Jeremiah chapter 1. And we will actually read some Bible tonight. So if you need one, raise your hand. Last week, we talked about the Bible, but we didn't actually read the Bible because we invested a week getting context. Originally, I was going to do both. The plan going into last week, in fact, I even surprised the worship team um, because what we ended up doing wasn't what I told them to expect. But as as 6 o'clock or 6.30 got closer, I realized, yeah, I can't can't do the introduction that I want to do and really talk about the call of Jeremiah both and do either one justice. So we invested a week talking about what was going on in Judah during the time in which Jeremiah was serving, was prophesying. And the answer was, a lot. Jeremiah begins his ministry under the reign of King Josiah, the last good king of Judah. And, of course, during Josiah's reign, we see the last revival of Judah. Jeremiah begins under Josiah, but he continues his ministry for 40 years all the way through the the slow but certain languishing descent of Judah and their ultimate conquest. And even beyond that, he continues ministering after Judah and Jerusalem have fallen to Babylon. I'd encourage you, if you weren't here last week, check out the study online or grab a good commentary Um, or or stare at a good study Bible for a while, get a good working overview of the time in which Jeremiah was ministering. Because, like we said last week, he bounces all over the place chronologically. Somebody asked me last week, are you going to try to teach Jeremiah chronologically? Man, if I had nothing else to do, that would be fun. But that would be incredibly time-consumptive, and it's the sort of thing scholars disagree about, so there'd be absolutely no certainty that that we'd even get it right. Um, So we're going to go chapter by chapter the way that that it's arranged, the way that the Holy Spirit presents it. But that means we're going to be bouncing all over those 40 years, back and forth, to and fro, and a good working understanding of what happens in those decades is going to be helpful. But today we're going to be in chapter 1, and we actually can place chapter 1 in time. So let's listen in as God calls Jeremiah to ministry, calls Jeremiah to be a prophet in both senses of the word, a prophet who foretells things that haven't happened yet, who speaks history in advance, but also a prophet who foretells, who preaches, who declares God's word to people who already should have known what he was going to say. Verse 1, the words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It also came in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the fifth month. So there we have a little biographical sketch where Jeremiah was born, when he was called. We'll do the second part first, because the when is straightforward. The thirteenth year of Josiah is 726 B.C. 
he says, this is a little less than straightforward, he says until the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah, well, that would be 586 B.C., and that's a familiar date. That was the last invasion and the ultimate destruction of Jerusalem at the hands of the Babylonians. We know, though, that Jeremiah's ministry continues. We're going to read him continue to prophesy and counsel after the fall of Jerusalem. So why is he citing 586 B.C. as a date? Probably because it's so epic probably because that was the, the, the linchpin event, the watershed event about which his prophecies increasingly come to anticipate. After that, he continues to counsel during the days of Gedaliah, um, the governor appointed by Babylon, and even afterwards in exile in Egypt. And we don't know for how long after that. We don't know exactly how long he lived and served, but it is after um, the fall of Jerusalem. He just cites that as sort of the epic event in his life and his ministry. So that's the time. What about the place? Well, verse 1, he, he says that he, it, the, the, the words of Jeremiah was of the priests who were in Anathoth and the land of Benjamin. And it's interesting the number of commentators that you can find who blithely say, well, so that means he's a Benjamite. He was, he was an ancestor or, or of, the, of the family of Saul, the, the, sorry, strike that, reverse it, a descendant uh, or part of the tribe of Saul, the first king of, of Israel, and uh, part of the tribe of Saul who became Paul. And that's tempting, except that it's not exactly correct. Land of Benjamin, okay, well, that's black letter scripture, so we, we take that at face value. Each of the tribes was assigned a particular parcel of real estate. Benjamin's parcel was relatively small, 12 miles by 26 miles. Judah was to the south, Ephraim was to the north. And uh, he, did, he did come from that parcel of real estate, that zip code, except Anathoth, while in the territory of Benjamin, was a Levitical city. The Levites alone among the tribes of, 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 of Israel were not assigned an expanse of land, but rather were assigned cities throughout the land. So the priestly tribe would be close at hand to all of the other tribes, and Anathoth was one of them. It was a Levitical city. That combined with the little detail there that, that he was the son of Hilkiah of the priests, who were in Anathoth, Jeremiah was a Levite. Who Jeremiah was, little biographical background, verse 4, we come to the call of God on his life. Then the word of the Lord came to me. So he switches to the first person. First three verses are sort of written, uh, you know, stand, standoffish in the, in the third person. He's writing, you know, he's speaking about himself. Or possibly that was attached by his secretary. It's possible that his secretary assembled these messages um, at or close to Jeremiah's death. But either way, we, we switch to the first person. Jeremiah is now speaking. The word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you into the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. We've said several times recently, if you want to unpack a passage, which words do you look to? Which words unlock it for you? The verbs, formed, new, sanctified, or set apart, ordained, 
Other translations have appointed. That tells the story right there. Before Jeremiah was conceived, before his parents met, God knew him. And the word for, knew, for, for knowledge there, the, the verb to know, is not head knowledge, but experiential knowledge. So what Jeremiah is saying is God only not only knew the idea of Jeremiah, he knew me as a person. He knew the human that I would be before I was born. It's the same idea we read in Psalm 139. Familiar verses, I'll praise you, David says, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance yet being unformed, and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as there were none of them. Years ago, I was a relatively young believer, actually. Um, and as a young believer, I was, I was, I was when, when I was in a conversation and I didn't know what to say, I would trot out the usual Christian platitudes, the bumper stickers. And in one particular conversation, I actually said the words, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And the person that I was talking to, who had been raised in the church and had been hurt by the church and was sort of disenchanted and, and disillusioned, looked at me right in the eye and he said, prove it. God loves me. God has a plan for my life. Prove it. I wish I knew the word better then because Jeremiah just proved it and so did David. God had a plan for Jeremiah that began before his parents met. He had a plan for each of us before our great-great-great-grandparents met. Ephesians 2.10, God prepared good, good, good works aforehand that we should walk in them, each of us. That's not a unique thing he's asserting for biblical figures like Jeremiah or David. It's true for each one of us. And obviously there are implications for the subject of abortion. It puts to lie the idea that uh, an embryo is just a clump of cells. No, it's a person created by God, loved by God, already in the womb, being prepared by God for ministry, likewise prepared for God. I've got the person over here, I've got the ministry over here, and one day they're going to meet. Verb four, ordained, appointed. Interestingly, the same word used in Genesis for when God sets the sun and the moon into motion on their particular assignments. It's the same word used of Abraham. It's the same word used of Moses. It's the same word that Isaiah used in our last book study, speaking of Messiah. God ordained, appointed him to a particular ministry. No less so with you and me. It's the same idea we read in Galatians. Galatians 1, verse 15. When it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, and so forth. The only thing that we conclude from Scripture is that none of us is an accident. No one here is an afterthought. All of us, each of us, fearfully, wonderfully made for ministry specifically, uniquely prepared for us by God. 
for the people that God knew we would become. Now, many of us hear that idea. We come across that idea as we read God's word. God has a plan for us. God loves us. God's not done with us. God has good works that we should walk in them. And our reflexive reaction is not me. No, 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 somebody else. Jeremiah, sure. Paul, sure. David, sure. Moses, Hector, not me. Well, Jeremiah thought so too. Jeremiah pushes back, verse 6. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I'm a youth. Sounds like a lot of people in Scripture. Sounds like Moses. Sounds like so many. Not me, Lord. You must be talking to someone else. You've got me confused with another guy. We're not for sure what Jeremiah intends when he says, I'm but a youth. It could mean, we talked about this last week, it could well mean that he was very, very young, a preteen even. On the other hand, that same word is sometimes used of people even in their 40s. It's used of Joshua. So it can mean young chronologically. It can also mean young in experience, young in skill. Joshua was a guy in his 40s when the children of Israel entered the land, but he'd never done that before. So in that sense, he was young. I don't know what it's like to lead people into Canaan. I'm young in that. I'm inexperienced in that. Either way, Jeremiah is pushing back. Either way, Jeremiah is saying, God, I'm not ready. I'm not qualified. I'm not the guy that you want for this. I don't really want it, Lord. God's answer, Jay, what does your age or inexperience have to do with anything if I'm with you? The Lord said to me, verse 7, Do not say I'm a youth, for you shall go to all whom, to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Stop looking at yourself, Jeremiah. Look at me instead. How often God says that to each of us, right? Get your eyes off of the horizontal, Patrick. Stop looking at people. Stop looking at circumstances. Stop looking at events and happenstance. Put your eyes on me. Put your attention vertically. God says to Jeremiah, you're going to go where I send you. And you're going to speak what I have for you to say, and you're going to be all right, because I'm going to be with you. Where God guides, God provides, right? If we're serving in the place that God sends us, in the strength he provides us, in obedience to his plan, for the glory of his name, the outcome is up to him. All he asks of us is obedience. I've stood on this verse and verses like it many times. Many times I've clung to this verse. Okay, God, you put me here. You put me here in this counseling session. You put me here in this outreach. You put me here in this study. You're not going to leave me alone because this was your idea. If it was my idea, I, I'd, 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 be, I'd be in deep mud. Because if I go out in my idea, I might very well go in my strength. And that rarely ends well. But the marriage that God called me to, the children that he's called me to, the, the, the teaching that he's called me to, the, the, the counseling that he's called me to, the unbeliever that he's called me to witness to, 
I can say, and so can all of us, God, this was your idea. You brought me here. You placed me here. You called me here. You told me where to go. Tell me what to say. (laughs) Tell me how to love. Tell me how to serve. Because I don't know, but you do. And he'll meet us. He does. He's so faithful. Verse 8. Don't be afraid of their faces, for I'm with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I've put my words in your mouth. Here's a study you might undertake if, if Wednesday night leaves you wanting more. If, if, if you're someone who likes to go deeper. Look at the ways that people God uses are touched when they're called or, or when they're recalled. When they're called initially or when they're called to, to a, another level, another dimension of ministry. We just finished looking at one, Isaiah, when he's called, he's touched where? His lips, his mouth. Cleanse my lips. Ezekiel, when we get there, is given a scroll to eat. It touches his tongue and it tastes good, Ezekiel 2 and 3. Daniel, it doesn't come until later, but Daniel talks about falling down among those who are like sons of men, one of whom touches his lips. So we've got the four major prophets all touched divinely. All touched differently. Daniel for strength, Ezekiel for food or for nourishment, Isaiah for cleansing, Jeremiah apparently for ministry, for articulate speech, much like Moses. I'm sure that there's more there. So if you're looking for a a side study, a side investigation, let me know what you find. But we'll keep going tonight. Verse 10. See, I have this day set set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. Again, the verbs tell the story. Root out, pull down, destroy, throw down. You can also translate that overthrow. To build and to plant. There you go, Jeremiah. That's your ministry. You're going to speak words of destruction, words of judgment, words of vengeance to the kingdom, to the nations, to the various kings of Judah and to the nations that come against Judah. Assyria, although Assyria is waning in Jeremiah's day, Egypt and Babylon. Words of destruction against all of them. Words of warning. Also words of construction words of reconciliation and restoration, but notice the proportion there. Notice the ratio. There's twice as many negative words, negative verbs, as there are positive ones. Because the message of the book, the message of Jeremiah's ministry, is overwhelmingly gloomy. He's not called the weeping prophet for nothing. Most of what he has to share is not good news. It's the faith that Judah chose. And it's the fate that the nations that come against Judah will deserve. If you're Jeremiah, what's your response? Are you sure, God? Are you sure you've got the right guy? Are you sure that I'm the man, the woman, the person for the job? We've all all said that, right? As God has sent us to do a thing, we've all asked, we've all prayed, we've all cried out, screamed, Seriously, Lord! You want me to do this with them? God is merciful. 
And he answers those prayers. Maybe not again and again and again and again, but God will confirm his will. He didn't create us to hide from us. He wants us to know. He wants us to be sure. Yeah, if we ask and ask and ask and ask, there comes a point where God says, I've already answered that question. You know the answer, you just don't like it. And I'm going to stop answering. Because you already know. But God in his mercy, he wants us to be sure, and God in his mercy answers Jeremiah. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? Jeremiah, it's important that you get this. I don't want you to doubt. I want you to, to be confident in in my call on your life, I want you to be confident in me. Verse 11, what do, you, what do you see? And I said, I see a branch of an almond tree. And the Lord said to me, you've seen well, for I'm ready to perform my word. Well, what? What doesn't come across in the English is there's some wordplay going on here. The root for almond tree, this is weird, but the root for almond tree is the same root as the verb to Watch, to be aware, to be watchful, to be alert. They sound the same. They come from the same root word. And there's a related idea there. Why would they be the same root? In Israel, the almond plant is the first to flower. It's the first to bloom, usually in January. And it's the first to bear fruit. It bears fruit by April. While a lot of the other plants are just waking up from the winter. So the almond tree is a sort of watchman. It's a sort of sentry that announces the coming of spring. So what is God saying? Verse 11 and 12, God is saying, I'll watch over my word. What word? The word I'm going to give you, Jeremiah. The word that I promised won't return void. God's about to speak through Jeremiah, and he's telling Jeremiah, the things that you speak in my name, the things that I give you to speak, will come to pass. You don't have to worry if you've got it right, and you don't have to worry about how it's going to work out. You don't, certainly don't have to worry about making it work out or bringing it to pass. That's my job, God says. But the things that you speak, they will come to pass. You can be confident in that. Second vision, second encouragement to Jeremiah, because by two or more things is a, witnesses is a thing established, right? The word of the Lord came to me the second time saying, what do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot and it's facing away from the north. And the Lord said to me, out of the north calamity shall break forth on all the inhabitants of the land. Not hard to understand this one, because throughout Israel's history, Judah and Israel, Judah's enemies, not always, but generally come from what direction? From the north, Syria, Assyria, Israel, once the kingdoms were divided, uh, coming against Judah, and their future enemy, their incipient enemy, the Babylonians. Why are you telling me this? Jeremiah had to be wondering Things are going good. Josiah is a good king. The, the nation's coming back to you, Lord. We've cleaned out the temple. There's worship going on. We found your word. Territory is expanding. The territory of, of Judah under Josiah, they, they took back land that had been ceded to their enemies. God is preparing Jeremiah for the reality that, that it's not going to last. 
And God is saying to Jeremiah, I'm going to tell you so that you have a chance to get used to this idea before you have to tell them. So that when I tell you to tell them, it won't be the first time that you hear this. For behold, verse 15, I'm calling all the families of the kingdoms of the north, says the Lord. They shall come and each one set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem against all its walls all around and all the cities of Judah. I will utter my judgments against them concerning all their wickedness because they've forsaken me, burned incense to other gods, and worshiped the work of their own hands. And once again, the verbs tell the story. Why judgment? Wickedness. What wickedness? Forsaking, burning incense, worshiping idols. You're a, you're a sinful bunch of sinners who are sinning, God says. And God's slow to anger. He's long-suffering, right? But where there isn't repentance, there must be judgment. Two ways we stand before the Lord, in his mercy or in his judgment. And, and God is saying to Jeremiah, the end, the, the, the end is not in question at this point. Yeah, there's revival happening under Josiah. And that's going to be good for what it is, but it's not going to be enough to turn the nation permanently back to me. And so that means judgment, because evil can't win. Crime must be punished. Injustice must be answered. And Jeremiah, that's your ministry. That's what I'm calling you to, to tell the people, to tell Judah and to tell the surrounding nations, judgment's coming and it's going to be bad. Therefore, prepare yourself and arise, verse 17, and speak to them all that I command you. And don't be dismayed before their faces, lest I dismay you before them. Suit up, God says to Jeremiah. Put your game face on. Get your ankles taped. Remember who you serve. I'm God who's able, which means you don't need to fear. Be clear about that, God is saying. If you, he, he's almost, he, God here almost sounds like my dad. Because God is, 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 is basically saying, if you show up afraid, I'll give you a reason to be afraid. If you cry, I'll give you something to cry about, was my dad's line. God isn't going quite that far, but he's saying, if you, if you show up afraid, I'll give you a reason to be afraid. But if you show up strong, oh, I'll make you strong. It's, it's, it's choose your own adventure. If you decide to believe me, well, then I'm going to make you strong. If you decide to doubt me, well, then I'm going to make you weak. Because either way, the prophet has to align with the message. I'm giving you strong words to speak. I want you to be strong speaking them. But if you're going to, if you're going to shake and tremble, well, if, 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 you're going to, if you're going to doubt, then I'm going to make you shake and tremble speaking them. So either way... You're authenticating the message. Your, 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 your countenance, your affect will align with your words. But then God concludes, verse 18. For behold, I've made you this day a fortified city and an iron pillar and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against its princes, against its priests, against the people of the land. They'll fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I'm with you, says the Lord, to deliver you. God says, look, if, you're, if, you, if you choose to be strong, I'll make you strong. If you choose to be weak, I'll terrify you. How about choose 
okay. How about choose not to fear? How about choose to believe in me and serve me? Here's another side adventure that that you can take on your own. Compare Jeremiah to Joshua. Because once you see it, you can't unsee it. Doesn't what we just read sound like the opening verses of Joshua, be strong and of good courage? Here God says the same thing, it's just with more words. He gives... He gives Jeremiah three promises, which are really one promise. You're a fortified city, Jeremiah. You're an iron pillar that holds the walls of that city together. You're bronze walls. You're not made of wood that you can be burned. You're not made of stone that they can be shattered by a battering ram. You're impervious, which is good because you're going to be under attack from everyone. Every king except Josiah, and even kind of Josiah towards the end. The princes, the officials who serve under the king, the government officials that report to the king, the priests, your own tribe, the Levites, you're not going to be popular with them. The people at large, they're going to oppose you, attack you, wound you, but God says, they won't defeat you. Why? God says, I'll deliver you. That's not a bad promise on which to build a ministry. When I was a pastoral intern, one of the first classes I was asked to teach before I was was trusted to teach a Wednesday night or let alone a Sunday morning, um, I was asked to teach, you know, foundations in the faith. and, And another class called to serve, kind of a ministry 101 class. And one of the one of the sessions of, of that, I think it was like a six-week class, was perils of ministry. Oh, perils of ministry. Where do, you, where do you go to talk about perils of ministry, dangers? I usually taught out of 2 Corinthians 11, you know, where Paul says, oh, I've been in the deep, and I've been starving, and I've been sleepless, and robbers, and countrymen. And, 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 I, and I use that as, as a launching off pad to talk about some of the things that happen when we raise our hand and say, here I am, Lord, use me. Looking back, I should have used Jeremiah chapter 1 because it conveys the idea so much more powerfully. Paul gives a laundry list of stuff that happened to him. But, but God says to Jeremiah, I'm calling you knowing it's going to happen to you. I know you, I made you, I've, I've prepared ministry for you, and it's going to hurt you. Don't be surprised when that happens. Like, I mean, like Joshua, we've all got, Joshua, I did it, Jeremiah. <laughs> like Jeremiah, we've all got a choice to make. It's, it's the same choice Joshua made. Choose this day whom you'll serve. And Joshua says, as for me and my house, Jeremiah reluctantly says, okay. Later, he, he tries to renege on it, and God has to scold him. God has to rebuke him. But even in calling Jeremiah, consider the weight of this. God says, I'm not going to tell you it's going to be easy. In fact, I'm going to promise you that it won't be easy. But I'm also going to promise you I won't waste it. Because God is God who redeems, right? Can we claim that promise? You and I, that God calls to serve. You and I, 
who have good works that God prepared for him that we should walk in them, Ephesians 2.10 and elsewhere. Of course we can. How is Jeremiah introduced? Before we know anything else about him, we know that he's from what kind of a family? Priestly family. What did we say on Sunday? We're kings and priests. In fact, you could argue that we're a kingdom of priests. We're called by God, right? Set apart by God, appointed to ministry by God. Are we apprehensive about that? Nervous at the prospect of being used by God? Sure. Do we feel inadequate? We'd better. Does God reassure us? He does. He says, you don't have to do this in your strength. We have a promise even far beyond what God promises Jeremiah. We have God the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. To do what? Our ministry takes a lot of forms, takes us to a lot of different places, but we we all united by, by one thread. We're all called in one way, shape, or form to warn people of what? Judgment. The judgment that's awaiting everybody, every man, woman, and child, unless they repent. Yeah, it's really similar to Jeremiah's ministry. And let's keep going. Will people attack us for delivering that message? You bet. With words today, maybe with violence tomorrow, and certainly with violence today in many parts of the world. Are we called to deliver it anyway? Yes. Because what do we have to fear? We're secure. We're a fortified city Every bit, as Jeremiah, every bit as much as Jeremiah was and more. No one can come against us to destroy our salvation. God has delivered us. He promises to deliver Jeremiah. He has delivered us. He will deliver us and he is delivering us. But he has delivered us and he'll keep delivering us until our ministry is complete. We're immortal until the things God has called us to do are finished. And oh, how I pray that we'll embrace that, especially as we study Jeremiah. I was in a church once upon a time that undertook a study of Jeremiah on Sunday morning. Almost killed the church. Almost killed the church. Because week after week, the pastor was faithful to unpack what God gave Jeremiah to share. This is what ministry is like. This is what following God is like. This is what obedience is like. It costs. And week over week, giving went down. (laughs) Week over week, attendance went down. Week over week, other churches were planted out out of that fellowship because people didn't want to hear what Jeremiah had to say, what God had to say through Jeremiah. They didn't want to hear about perils. They wanted to hear prosperity. They wouldn't have put it like that, but it was true. And they let the words of Jeremiah get them in their feels. They got bummed out. They were living, verse 17. I hope that won't be us. I hope we won't stop at verse 17. I hope we'll press on to verse 19. And remember, God is with us. In whatever he he calls us to, he's there with us. He's there in the furnace. And he's already delivered us, will deliver us, is delivering us, now and always, always and now. Lord, build your church as we study these words. 
Equip your people, your servants. Forge us, Lord. Refine us. Expand our understanding of what it is to serve and to follow. Deepen our appreciation for the promises that accompany your call to ministry. And I pray that our worship will be richer as we see you more clearly, as we understand the ministry that you've invited us to participate in. more powerfully. Have your way, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.